0: At the end of May 2018, I moved my blog. I moved it to a new platform. This is a little bit like moving to a new house, except it takes longer, it's more emotional, and it's a lot more expensive. Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo. To celebrate season two, I thought we'd start off with a presenting nonprofit. Instead of a sponsor, to find out more, visit CharityWater.org.
1: And then a seven-year-old kid in, in Texas starts knocking on doors, and he's asking for his age in dollars. 77, 777. He raises 22 grand. And we said, wow, this is a big idea. You know, everybody in the world could care about clean water. Everybody in the world has a birthday every year. And we have enough stuff. What if we could turn the birthday into a giving moment? into an unselfish day, our birthdays, so people could live longer and have birthdays.
0: Moving my blog is a metaphor for a lot of things, about being found, about how ideas spread, and about the passage of time in a fast-moving world where the culture is driven by the Internet, and the Internet is driven by the culture. The last time I moved my blog was 16 years ago when George W. Bush was president, when Alicia Keys had her debut album, and when the bestseller list had names on it like James Patterson and Stephen King. So some things change, some things not so much. Before I had my blog on TypePad, I used to deliver it by email, and I've been doing that since the 1990s. What I discovered then, what I wrote a book about, is the simple idea that anticipated, personal, and relevant messages are more likely to resonate with people than spam. Day by day, week by week, I built up a list of people who wanted to hear from me, who wanted to get an email newsletter from me. Back in the day, when newsletters actually had stamps on them, I understood from seeing the work of Esther Dyson that an effective newsletter could completely change the game. The goal isn't to reach a lot of people. The goal is to reach the right people and to reach them in a way where they're glad that you showed up. Anticipated, personal, and relevant means that they would miss you if you didn't show up. That's my definition of permission. Earning the privilege, you can't take it, it's not a right. There's no such thing as free speech when we're not talking about the government. This is earned speech. Showing up with a message that people want to get, drip by drip, day after day. At the time, my emails didn't come out every day. That would have overwhelmed most people in the information-starved 1990s, at least compared to today. When I began, it was 20 people getting a newsletter about this struggling entrepreneur they knew. Then it was 25, and then it was 40, and it was 100. This led to my second big insight. Ideas that spread win. In the late 90s, this magazine showed up, Fast Company. I decided Fast Company was the greatest magazine ever published. I also decided that my life dream was to be a columnist for Fast Company magazine. I figured I had something to say, and I figured that was the place to say it. I sent a note to Bill and Alan, the founders, the editors, and I told them I wanted to write a column for them. I offered to write it for free. Alan wrote back a really nice note saying, we'd love to, except we don't run columns. Well, that didn't deter me, so I started writing a column for Fast Company, even though they didn't have columns. Every week, I sent Alan and Bill a new column. And by the time I got to, I guess, the eighth or ninth week, their ad sales had started to go up. And they realized they needed more editorial to sit next to all of those ads. So they said, sure, Seth, if you want to write for us, if you want to write thousands and thousands of words for us for free, we'd be delighted to run your column. I was thrilled. I made a decision then and there that the goal of the column was to write something that people would Xerox in an old-fashioned Xerox machine and put one in the slot Of every person in the mailroom, in the old-fashioned mailroom, the old-fashioned slot, the whole idea that there was an office to begin with. So instead of people forwarding it by email, which was unheard of, people were actually copying a column and putting it in other people's mailboxes. Ideas that spread win. Month after month, my column grew in its impact. Fast Company grew in its impact. And that lesson has not been forgotten, that what we can do is serve a small group of people with an idea that they want to share. Why do they want to share it? In the case of my Fast Company column, the reason was this. I was telling them something they already believed. They already wanted to be true. They already wanted to share. My job was to write it in a way that made it cogent and easy to share. And so they did. And if that resonated with some other people, They joined in. A few years later, I was at a conference. I met Joey Ito there. He was on the board of a company called Six Apart. I saw for the very first time what the TypePad platform looked like, and I moved my blog to it a few weeks later. Here's the thing. Google changed everything. They changed everything in a way that most people don't see or understand. Most people use Google to find things. They assume it is telepathetic. They assume all they have to do is type in a few simple words and Google will comb through the entire internet and find them exactly what they're looking for. Most people never get past the first page of results on Google. Well, it's so popular, so many billions of searches are done That everybody who makes a thing, who has a service, who wants a job, who needs or wants to be found, wants to be found by Google. There is a haystack, the biggest haystack in the history of the world. And each of us, each of us who wants to make a difference, who wants to be found, we're needles. And so there's a problem. There's a challenge. And the challenge is getting found for a generic term. Right. If I search for John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt and Google does its job right, I will actually find John. But most of the time, that's not what people f- search for. Most of the time, people aren't sure what they're looking for and they want Google to find it for them. And so in every town, there are a thousand plumbers with sharp elbows hoping that they will be the first match for the word plumber. And in every industry there are consultants, or there are freelancers, or there are companies big or small waiting to be found. At the beginning, Google's algorithm was pretty primitive. It wasn't particularly difficult to cheat your way to the front of the line, to play in ways that the Google algorithm liked a lot and get more than your fair share of visits from the hordes of people searching for the likes of you. And so we began this striation, this sedimentary approach, people at the top, people in the middle, people at the bottom. Not because they are worthy, not because Google has done a site visit or the Department of Health has verified them, but instead because they got good at getting found. This is often called SEO, search engine optimization. It's a weird term. Optimizing who? Optimizing what? Well, the search engine is Google, and what we're optimizing is the way our website looks and feels and is seen by the other people in the world so that Google will pick us. And it's led to all sorts of weird side effects, people twisting themselves into knots, not seeking to serve the customer, but seeking to serve some sort of mythical wizard inside the box that calls itself Google. So what does this have to do with blogs? I'll get to that in just a second. At the beginning, the genius of Google's algorithm was this. They didn't rank pages based on what was on the page. They ranked pages based on what people who linked to the page were saying. So if a lot of people linked to a page saying, this is the best hotel in all of Ghana, then if you searched for best hotel in Ghana, the Google algorithm should have found the page they were all pointing to. If you wanted to be found then, the idea of writing blog posts that were often shared and spread made an awful lot of sense. Because instead of one website that just sat there all day, every day, the same, you were writing a blog. A blog about this and a blog about that. So for eight years, if you typed the word blog... Into Google, my blog was the very first match. Now, it's important for me to state that I didn't write the blog so this would be true. I wrote the blog because after I left Fast Company, I wanted that same experience. The experience of people Xeroxing my posts and putting them into the office mailboxes. Of course, no Xeroxing, just email. So I was writing for the very reason that people were linking. I was writing so that people would spread the ideas. No ads on my blog, rare calls to action. That's not what it's for. What it's for is to teach people, to show them something. But back to this challenge and how the culture changed. Because what happened was people who didn't belong, for whatever reason you want to measure, number one in anything, decided that being number one was so valuable they would spend their time and their money working to be number one as opposed to working to be better, working to serve people better. And thus SEO developed a bad reputation. The idea was that for 1000 or 5000 or 50000 or or $100,000 you could game the system so that you would get more links than you, quote, deserved. That you were exposing many of the failings of the Google algorithm Because human beings weren't actually looking at your site. Once it became worth millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, to be ranked number one in Google, an arms race began. That arms race brought in good operators, bad operators, people who were playing for the right reason and people who weren't. But what we saw in all of the hotly contested areas, things like hotels or travel or things that we might buy or services or obscure terms, were people who were subverting the very idea behind the search engine. It was then that Google made an interesting choice. I'm not sure what I would have done in their shoes, but it was a two-part choice. One, they didn't really understand how the algorithm began to work because it got too complicated. More than 3,000 people were hand-tweaking the way Google was scoring different pages. So Google pretended, A, they knew exactly how it worked, and B, that no human beings were actually making these decisions. It was simply the algorithm. Well, it's not our fault you moved down. It's the algorithm. Oh, it's not our fault that this hate term is number one in results. It's the algorithm. At some level, this is nonsense. It also undermines their responsibility, because once they are the middleman, the monopoly on how people find stuff, they do have a responsibility to keep their promise and give the best possible results. But we're here to talk about the change that each of us can make. And I think the key insight is this. You cannot trust that your needle is going to get found in the haystack. You cannot trust that any generic word, the word you seek to own, butcher shop, shoe store, pick whichever one you want, is going to end up with you on top. And if you're not on top, If you're number 20 or number 50 or number 100, you might as well be invisible. The alternative is to win when someone searches for you. So if you look for Seth, you'll find me. If you look for Seth Godin, you'll definitely find me. If you look for Newton running shoes, you'll find the people that make Newton running shoes. So the game goes from how do I persuade Google to find me when someone is looking for the generic to... How do I persuade the public to look for the specific? And so as we enter this post-Google age, where clearly there's room for more than one winner for every noun, how do we have a chance to change the culture? And the answer is this. The answer is change the people you engage with so much that they want to tell other people. Have them want to tell other people in the specific not in the general. You may have heard me talk about one of my favorite examples, the Poulain Bakery in Paris, run by Apollonia Poulain, the daughter of the late Lionel. This bakery is extraordinary, lines out the door, a premium product enjoyed at most of the fine restaurants in Paris. If you search for bakery, you will not find it, not easily. But if you search for Poulain, P-O-I-L-A-N-E, there it is, right up top where it belongs. So that's the mission. The mission is to write things, create things, post things, engage with things that people choose to share, to earn the permission of people they shared them with, the permission to follow up, the permission to teach, the permission to engage, and then share some more, and then teach some more, and do it in a way that people will share it again, and then people will share it again. And then people will share it again, each time earning you more permission. Because trusting the middleman on the internet, that's a dangerous game. That if you are building your content on LinkedIn or building your content on Facebook, you're sharecropping. That you are working for a landlord that does not care about you, that has no contractual obligation to keep their word. That at any time they can say, oh, You know all those people you have permission to talk to? Your followers, your friends? We're going to start charging you money to reach them. Want to boost this post? That's a lousy deal. That what we have to figure out how to do is engage with a platform that has an obligation to us. That was my relationship with TypePad. And I'm super grateful that in the 16 years I was on their platform, they kept their end of the bargain. I happily paid them whatever it was, $20 a month, Because that money was repaid to me again and again by a third party that had my interests at heart, a site that was up almost all the time. It worked because I was paying for it. I wasn't the product. I was the customer. And my job on that platform was to be a teacher. My job on that platform was to teach, was to make it easy for people to find me if they were looking for me, not looking for the generic but looking for the specific. And then to earn their attention and trust and to keep a promise. I discovered that five or 10 years ago, I was blogging three times a day. I was sort of insane. I don't know what kind of caffeine I was drinking. I realized that my promise was out of hand. So I made a specific promise. I said, once a day, that's it. I'm not going to overwhelm you. Once a day, I'll be here. And I've been there every day since then partly because I have something to teach, partly because I have something to say, partly because I have something to share, but also because I made a promise, anticipated personal and relevant messages to people who want to get them, drip by drip, day by day. So I'm grateful to all the people who worked so hard to help me build this new platform for my blog. But way more important than that, I'm encouraging each one of you to have one. Not to have a blog because you'll make money, because you probably won't. Not to have a blog because you'll have millions and millions of readers, because you probably won't. But to have a blog because of the discipline it gives you. To know that you're going to write something tomorrow, something that might not be read by many people, it doesn't matter, it'll be read by you. And that if you can build that up, 10 at a time, 20 at a time, a month at a time, day by day, you will begin to think more clearly. You will make predictions. You will make assertions. You will make connections. And there they will be in type for you to look at a month or a year later. This practice of sharing your ideas to people who will then choose or not choose to share them helps us get out of our own head because it's no longer the narrative inside. It's the narrative outside, the narrative that you've typed up, that you've cared enough to share. So SEO is fine. If you win at SEO, congratulations. I'll send you a postcard, maybe a medal and a ribbon. It's great. Someone needs to win at every single noun anyone could search on. But it might not be you. It probably won't be you. The odds are against it being you. A 12-year-old probably shouldn't grow up saying, I will not be happy unless I am the champion of the world at this sport or that thing because the odds are too long. It's not worth betting your happiness on that. That if we're going to change the culture, we're going to have to figure out how to bypass the generic Google search and instead reach a few, the smallest viable audience, the group of people we seek to serve, to connect those people with each other and with our ideas in such a way that we become the specific, not the generic. Because if you are specific enough and generous enough and consistent enough, it's worth the journey. Thanks for listening. No questions to answer this week. Last week, we wrapped up season one with a QA and a episode. But I would love to hear your questions about this episode or just about anything else at akimbo.link. That's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K Now, here's a word from our featured nonprofit, Charity Water. You can find them at CharityWater.org
1: Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on Earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly
0: Thanks for tuning into to Akimbo. I hope that you will subscribe and tell your friends. See you next time. What are people saying about the Alt-MBA?
1: I just, I needed something, something more, a way to level myself up and find other kind of connection really be challenging. Maybe I operated for 10 years in my life and this is what was my best space. But then in alt you learned what was your best on Monday, it's going to be better on Tuesday night. And you're going to do it in a space where everyone cares about you so much that they're not going to let you off the hook. Alt-MBA, in fact, is not a course, it's a workshop. It's One month in which a professional coming from all over the globe can work with 100 other professionals that will make you a better leader. Not enough time. We know it's not enough time. Do it anyway. Some people want to self-edit. They want to say, I have writer's blog, all these excuses, basically. And so this is just an exercise in getting out of your own way and also collaboration. It's more about how you think, what you're willing to offer yourself and and the group.
0: I have a clearer vision with my company and who I'm trying to build it for.
1: Really having a lot of skills to speak more confidently about who I wanted to be and where I wanted to go.
0: Find out more at altmba.com.